Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Last week I talked about people who can pray you to heaven and back. I like the way John and the praise team and the choir, they sing us to heaven and back. We've been there this morning. You know, but before we get there, there's a lot of rough, uh, rough road to travel, a lot of bumps along the way. You remember that um, in the very last Days, in fact, in the evening in which Jesus was betrayed, he had a short conversation with Peter. And he said, Peter, Satan has requested the right to sift you like wheat. Now, if I'm Peter, that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> to know that, uh, you know, Satan, the devil, the great adversary, not just my boss, but the adversary is out to get me. And not just out to get me, he wants to run me through the, the ringer, the, the strainer. He, he, he wants to just tear me up and pulverize me. And so this isn't exactly good news. Maybe, Jesus, you should have said something else like, Hey, Peter, you're going to have an illustrious career, wind up writing part of the New Testament, and they'll name churches after you. I mean, that, that would have been better. But Jesus said, Peter, Satan is going to go all out after you. I think that's why later on Peter wrote that our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion and just prowling back and forth, seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever felt like one of the devourees in life? Because that's what our adversary does. He attacks us and he assaults us. And add to that just the, the, uh, the things of life and the things of the world that tear at us, that break us, that wound us, that hurt us. And after a while, you know what it means to be sifted like wheat. And I don't know how you get through that. But when Jesus said that to Peter, he said, Peter, the, the devil's going to sift you like wheat. There's, there's going to be the, this really tough time in your life. The next thing Jesus said, well, I could always hug and kiss him, but I could just kiss him. He said, but Peter... I have prayed for you. Can you imagine? Have Jesus pray for you. Now, maybe you're one of those cynics who would say, well, Jesus, don't pray for me. Just take away the devil. You know, Jesus, don't, don't just say you're praying for me. You know, do something about it. Uh, take away the problem. Stand between me and the adversary. Don't let me go through those tough times. Maybe take care of me through all this. But the Jesus who said, Peter, I have prayed for you, is the same Jesus who prayed er, later on. He said, Father, if this cup can be removed, take it away. But the Father doesn't take it away. And Jesus goes through the 
cross. It bears the pain and the heartache and the suffering. And so when Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to pray for you, you know, prayer never violates the free will. You know, prayer never takes away our personal responsibility. Prayer for someone else never puts them in a position where they just get in the, in the cart and, and they get wheeled along automatically. Prayer doesn't take away from someone the responsibility for living their life under the power of God, under his sovereignty, in obedience for his glory. But we pray for one another. And here's what I think happened. A little later on, Jesus was arrested and Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, and uh, somebody came up and said, you're one of those Jesus guys, aren't you? Peter said, no way, Jose. Well, it was Hebrew, no way, Jose. <laughs> he said, you know, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't know the man. You know, I just, I just came in to get warm, that's all. Another one came up and said, not, not, you're, you're one of his. I can tell by your accent. You know, you're, you're one of those Jesus people. Peter said, wrong again. I am not one of those Jesus people. I'm here just taking notes for a class project. Please leave me alone. <laughs> Little servant girl came up to him. I saw you with him. I, I think you're one of his. I saw you with him. Peter began to curse and to swear on his oath. I don't know him. I don't know him. The darkest of the dark descended upon him. And Peter remembered that Jesus had also said, you're going to deny me, Peter. And he went out and Peter wept. And I don't know if you can ever get lower than that. You haven't just betrayed your friend. You haven't just denied your friend. You've denied your Lord and your Master. And the depth of the sorrow and the darkness in Peter's heart is unimaginable. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at the point where life was absolutely collapsed around you? You didn't know where to turn. You didn't know if there was an answer, much less if you could find it. You're at that moment when, when you have so utterly messed things up that you are convinced that the next step is, is, is just, you know, step off this earth into eternity. But Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you. And at that moment, in those moments of the darkness and the turmoil, in the next few days of the trial, the crucifixion, that lonely Saturday when all the world seemed to have grown dark, when, when the kingdom seemed to have been defeated on that Saturday into the early morning Sunday hours with, with uh, Peter's heart just broken and sad and, and utterly distressed and defeated. What sustained him but that Jesus had prayed for him? Well, you can't leave the story there. Then when Jesus is raised, he's talking to, the, to Mary. He says, look, look, go tell the disciples I'm risen. Tell Peter. Tell Peter. I know what he's going through. He'll like this. Trust me. Tell Peter. Tell him because I prayed for him. I prayed him through it. 
He didn't know that, but I prayed him through it. You know, there are moments when you're at the very lowest ebb of life, and, and life is absolutely dark and miserable. And the only thing that'll get you through is prayer, and you don't feel like praying. The only thing that'll get you through is to go before the Father's throne and put your life in front of him and just say, Thy will be done and for your glory and all those things that we know. The only thing that'll help is prayer. But you can't pray. There's something inside you that, that's either afraid to or doesn't want to or doesn't know how to, but you just don't want to pray. And you're in one of those moments when you need prayer more than ever before, and yet you cannot pray. What does God do in his mercy? He sends somebody to pray for you. Somebody to pray for you. And oh, the power of prayer to carry us through. Oh, the power of prayer. I think that's the reason why when Paul in Colossians chapter 4, let's look at that. Chapter 4, he's coming to the end of this wonderful letter in which he's talking about having focus. You know, uh, we, we've, we've mostly been, been talking about the fact that, that we live in a murky world. It's, it's a very fuzzy, foggy world. And, and, and this world that we live in has like a thousand different voices calling us a thousand different ways and trying to push us in a thousand different directions. And, and we're living in a murky world, and what we need is clarity. We really need to know what we're about. And so we read in chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the body of the church. That's our focus. Therefore, as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. So put off those earthly things. Put on those heavenly things. And that's how we have this focus in a murky world. But Paul, in the context of Christian fellowship, in the context of, of this gathering called the church, he writes to the Colossians, and first of all, he talks about prayer. And we looked at that last week when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And we looked and tried to, to suggest just some of what prayer means in the life of the Christian. But after that, in verse 3, he says, at the same time, while you're thanking God, while you're praying to God, while in your prayer you're going before God and worship, while you're going before God and laying your life before him, while you're going before God and just giving him thanksgiving, and praise and honor and adoration at the same time that you're doing all that kind of prayer just fit this in verse 3 pray also for us pray also for us now you can understand why Paul said I need prayer if you would ask Paul what is your ministry about he would have said well my ministry is about being shipwrecked my ministry is about floating in the ocean for days on end. My ministry is about being arrested. My ministry is about being thrown into prison and, in, and, and into the dungeons. My, my ministry is all about being hauled outside the city gate and stoned and left for dead. My ministry is all about being hungry. My ministry is all about being clothed and out on the roads and being susceptible to the thieves and the highwaymen and the robbers coming after me. My ministry is all about this kind of suffering. And on top of that, my ministry is about a constant nagging concern for all the churches and what goes on inside of them. And when somebody stumbles in one of my churches, I feel it. 
So Paul said, that's, that's the nature of my ministry. Now you understand why I'm saying you got to pray for me. you got to pray for me. These are big things, and all of them are trying to stop the work of the gospel cold. you got to pray for me. Why would we ever hesitate to ask for prayer? Why would we ever hesitate to ask for prayer? Oh, I don't want to bother you? Bother us. I, I, I don't know if you'll understand the need that I have. I, I look so competent and capable on the outside. Everything's crumbling on the inside, but you don't know. But hey, folks, we know more than you think. Why do we hesitate to ask people to pray for us? Paul says, when you're in your prayer time with all the glorious things going on, don't forget, pray for me too. Pray for me too. Because there are moments in life when you need prayer and you won't be able to pray. And oh, the joy to know that somebody prayed for me lifted me up to the throne of heaven. Somebody prayed for me. Paul said, you've got to pray for me because that's what's going to keep us together in this whole thing. You know, there's a bonding value of prayer. It's a bonding agent. When you pray, you are connected to the Father. When you pray, your, your life here on earth as little and small and insignificant as the earth might count it, your life is connected to the eternal God creator of the universe, sovereign over all of history, who directs every subatomic particle in the universe. I was interested to see that just this past week they've published that they have discovered gravity waves predicted by Albert Einstein. And you know, all the scientists are patting themselves on the back. I'm sitting there giving glory to God. Wow, you guys just saw the handiwork of God. You found out his brush stroke goes like this. And when you pray, you're connected to that God. When you pray, you're connected to this sovereign, majestic God. There's a bonding agent to prayer. But it not only connects us to the Father in heaven, prayer connects us to one another. There's something humbling in asking for prayer. We know that. You, you've got to admit, hey, I need that prayer. And more than just, hey, pray for me, you know. Uh, I'm going to have a tough day tomorrow. I've, I'm being promoted to the highest position in my company, and pray for me because I don't know what I'm going to do with all that acclaim. No. No. Pray for me because when I get to work tomorrow, I have no idea if I'll leave with a job. Pray for me tomorrow. Because when I go home, it's a battlefield, and I don't know what to do. Pray for me, because I have a loved one who's gone off into the far country, and they're spending all the resources and blessings and talents that God gave them, and they're spending it in riotous living. Pray for me, because my heart is breaking. Pray for me, because I am weak and because I'm confused. Pray for me because I have stumbled so badly I don't know if I can get up. Pray for me because my life has reached the end of its rope and I don't know where to turn. Pray for me. And when you share that kind of prayer request, there's a bonding that goes on. It's humbling to ask for prayer and it's humbling to be asked. It's humbling when you're asked to pray for someone else. That's the first thing you say. 
I don't know what to pray for. You've just told me about your life's problems. I have no idea what the answer is. I don't know what to ask God. I don't know what to tell him. Pray that you should go. Pray that you should stay. Pray that you should walk or run or sit still. I, I have no idea what to pray. <laughs> you know, we looked at that last week. We don't know how to pray as we are, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. So just get in there and pray. Lift them up. There's something humbling in, in, in praying. Something humbling when a child asks you to pray for them. Oh, what a privilege and responsibility it is. But that, that humility and that, that sharing of the prayer need together binds us to one another because we get real honest and we get very, very focused on what we're all about in those moments. It's, it's hard to, to sort of um, um, uh, snow people when you're asking for that kind of prayer. It's, it, it's hard to, to try and, and, and make an impression that you're somebody that you're not and you're doing better than you are. It's hard to do that when you're asking for prayer that way. So prayer has a bonding value. It brings the church together, and it holds the church together. Okay. So let's pray for one another. Paul says, you know, in, in the middle of all that, while you're doing all that kind of praying, don't forget to pray for us. And here was Paul's primary prayer request. I'll give you a hint, those of you who, who didn't open the Scriptures, I'll give you a hint. He didn't ask for uh, an easy ride. And he didn't ask that, that somehow um, his life would, would be better and he would be happier. All he said was this, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. He said, pray that God would work. What does that mean? That means pray that God would work out his perfect will in your life. Now, Jesus said, I, Peter, I have prayed for you. Peter still went through the denial. He still stumbled. He still fell. But Jesus had prayed for him even beyond the stumbling and the following, uh, falling that God's will would be done, that Peter would be raised up, would be a witness to the resurrection, would be someone proclaiming the gospel. He had already prayed for Peter that he would go through his life as a mighty testimony to the grace of God. And yes, these setbacks would come and these stumblings would come, the fallings would come, but Jesus said, I've prayed for you and we're going to work through this. Pray that God would work. Peter said, Paul said, pray that God would open a door for us. And, and, and Paul had seen this kind of thing happen over and over and over again. You, you know, in his ministry, when he went to a city, he would go into the synagogue. And there in the synagogue, he would preach Jesus and talk about how Jesus was the Messiah and show from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And uh, Paul would do that because God had prepared a door for him there. There in the synagogue were people who already had the background to hear about the Messiah, already had the the scriptural background to hear about the Christ. And so when Paul was preaching in the synagogue, he was taking advantage of a door that God had opened for hundreds of years, getting these people ready. But sometimes in the synagogue, they didn't listen. So Paul would go out in the marketplace, and he'd find himself in, uh, on a little hill in Athens or something, and people say, uh, hey, Paul, how you doing? Fine. Uh, I've noticed that you've got a bunch of altars here to worship every god and you even have an altar to none and god opened a door for paul to share in that situation paul had seen doors opened by riversides 
when he went to Philippi. There, were, there weren't enough Jews there for a synagogue, so Paul went to the riverside, and it was custom of the Jews to, to gather by a river so they'd have flowing water for their uh, uh, cleansing and washing rituals and so forth. And, and he went there, and he, and he met a lady named Lydia, and as, uh, as he's sharing with Lydia, Lydia says, this is, this is great. Not only is Jesus my Lord, he's going to be Lord of my house. Let's start a house church. And she brings the whole church, and they stay with Lydia. He'd seen a door open there. But in prisons, he'd seen a door open. Yeah, that's a pun. <laughs> Figuratively, spiritually, literally, he'd seen doors open. He was there in prison in Philippi. He was in the innermost prison in the, in the innermost uh, dungeon. He didn't even get a room with a view. You know, he was in there when, in one of the interior cabins. And... <laughs> Have I lost you? Okay. <laughs> there in that prison, he's singing psalms and praising God and lifting up Jesus in adoration. And the earthquake comes and it shakes the building and the door opens. The door opens and the chains fall off. That's pretty big stuff, but it's nothing compared to what happens next because the jailer comes in and he says, wait a minute, the chains are gone, the, the doors are open, I, I better kill myself, that's the only thing left to do. Paul says, don't, 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 we're all here. The Philippian jailer starts to realize there's something more going on here than a seismic event, and he says, well, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and your whole house. The door was open there in that prison. Paul had seen doors open when he stood before kings and judges. You remember he, he, um, he, he talked to King Agrippa and he said, look, uh, you know, here's who Jesus is. And he goes around and Agrippa says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul says, oh, if only you'd take that last step. I want you to be the way I am. Except for these chains. Wouldn't wish that on you, but I want you to be as I am. You see... Paul had seen doors open again and again by the power of God, and that power uh, was linked up through the agencies of prayer. Folks, I can't explain it to you. There's no equation that you can put on a blackboard that, that, will, that will define it. There's, there's no way you can put a flow chart, an organizational chart, or design an, a, a, a machine and show the engineering drawings that will describe it. All I know is this, is that God hears our prayers. And, and as the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, he answers our prayers, and he causes everything, everything to work together for our good because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. When you pray for somebody, all that is unleashed. You're linked to them, you're linked to the Father, and you open up the door that God might work in a real and powerful way. There... there There's about two more sermons in these verses, okay? Uh, I don't know if I'll give them both to you. Uh, I'll give you this one, though. Paul says, pray that that door will be opened, that I may speak, is the Greek word. What's the translation here? That I may declare the mystery of Christ. And that's the focus. That's the focus that brings the clarity, is that that absolute focus on the mystery of Christ. You know, it's easy to get sidetracked on other things, good things. Some people think church should be all about how can I be prosperous, healthy, and wealthy. Some people think church is all about extracting principles from Jesus that I then apply to my lives. Folks, 
we are not about extracting principles from Jesus. We are about knowing the person of Jesus. And the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the word of God, is that people would come to know the mystery of Christ. And that, that's the prayer that I would have for you more than any other, is that you would know the mystery of Christ, that you would know the mystery of his incarnation, that the Son of God took human form and became obedient unto death and died on the cross for us, that you would know the mystery of his life as he showed us the Father so that if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father, the mystery of the cross where he took our sins upon himself and he died in our place, the mystery of the resurrection in which he was raised from the dead, his victory over death, announced and proclaimed to all the world, demonstrating with power that he is the Son of God and the mystery of salvation, that we who are sinners, we who have failed, we who have rejected and rebelled against God, we come to him by faith, and all we do is plead the blood of Jesus, and we are cleansed and made whole, and we have everlasting life. Oh, I would pray that you would know the mystery of a life of holiness. By that, I'm, I don't mean that you know the mystery of walking six inches off the ground with this little yellow halo light, that you would know the mystery of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you would know what it is to be surrendered so to the will of God that when you come to those moments, you say, I don't know how I get there. I'm here. Will of God is there. I don't know how to get there. And you, and you just enjoy that blessing of saying, but the Holy Spirit does, and you step out by faith, and step by step, the Holy Spirit leads you there. I would pray you would know the mystery of holiness in your life. And I would pray that you would know the mystery of glory, the glory of God, the glory of heaven. I don't know anyone who has the words for it. I don't know anyone who can tell you what it is like in words that are adequate. God has given us words that we use, and we, we, we know that he's, he's sort of had to um, scale it down for us. That when we talk about the glory of heaven, even more. When we talk about the majesty of his throne, even more. When we talk about the wonder of seeing the lamb standing as if slain, and the wonder and the glory of that, even more. When we talk about joining our voices with the angel choirs and singing the praises of God for all eternity, even more than that. Words are not adequate. And I pray that you would come to know the mystery of the glory of God in a personal way. Because that's why we're created. That's why we're here. That's, that's, that's what God is doing in our lives. So let's pray for one another. Let's pray for one another. Um, yeah, I'll give this to you. There is a tradition of Christian preaching. You know, there's different kinds of preaching. Have you noticed that? There's good preaching. <laughs> Amen. That was laughter. They're, they're laughing at me. <laughs> but there's different, different styles of preaching. But there, there's a, um, uh, a, 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 a kind of a church theology of preaching uh, that says, you know, when the pastor stands in the pulpit, he's got the Word of God. Hard to realize that, but he's got the Word of God, and he's trying to share it with the people. And the understanding in, in this style is that the devil is doing everything he can to keep the preacher from proclaiming the Word of God. And so he gives them a bad night's sleep. You know? He gives them, uh, you know, a little stomach trouble. 
gives them anxiety. Devil doesn't want people to hear, so he brings people to church who are grumpy, people who stayed out all night. He brings people who've brought their coloring books so they can color instead of listening. We call them iPads. Okay. <laughs> and the devil's doing everything he can to keep the people from hearing the Word of God. Now, in this style of preaching, and I, I, just, I, I just bring this up because I think it's kind of cool. The next step is this. And it is the job of the congregation to pray the preacher through the sermon. Amen is right. That's right. Preach it, brother. That's it. Amen. Because if you don't pray the preacher through it, the sermon won't get through, and the Word of God will not, will not be spread and broadcast. I think that's a pretty good theology. That, by the way, is why when you say amen to a preacher, it's like saying sick him to a dog. Amen. Yeah. And, <laughs> look, I'll tell you something else. Not in this church, because you always hear Bible preaching here. But, uh, but you know, if you're ever in a situation where, where, you know, you're listening to a sermon and you're hearing a lot of pop psychology and you're hearing a lot of nice stories and illustrations, but you're not hearing much Jesus, okay? Um, here's what you do. Every time that preacher says G the name Jesus, you say amen. amen. I think I'll try that again. Jesus. <laughs> hey, that worked really good. I think I'll talk more about Jesus. Amen. Whoa, now you're off to the races. You see how it works? You just pray for that guy, and every time he gets even close to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you say amen, preach it, brother, and give him all the encouragement in the world. And by the way, when he says stuff that's just sort of that namby-pamby, stone silence. <laughs> He'll get the message. I did. <laughs> so, I know, I, got, I just got off. Okay, that, that, that was worth a little bit of time. So here, here, here's where we are. You know, at the close of this, this, this letter about clarity and focus on Jesus Christ, Paul says, you know, when it's all said and done, here's where I'm going to leave you. Pray for us. And I take that to mean, let's pray for one another. Let's pray that God will be at work in our lives so that when each one of us gets to that moment where we can't take another step and the darkness is just so heavy and the sense of failure and weakness is so profound, we'll know that somebody prayed for us. And that prayer will carry us through. Let's bow together. Father, I just thank you for the gift of prayer. I thank you that even before we speak, you already know our hearts, you know the need, you know the, 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 the whole situation, Father, and I thank you that you work for your glory constantly. And so I ask for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Give us the courage to pray. Give us the strength to pray. Give us the wisdom to pray. Father, give us that longing and that desire to lift one another up in prayer. And Father, for that person here this morning for whom the mystery of Christ is, is an unknown quantity and for whom Jesus is, is just someone outside of their lives, I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to bring that conviction of the heart that would lead to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and would embrace him for forgiveness and eternal life. Father, I thank you for being kind and gracious to you. I thank you for prayer even as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.